Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Buckle up, strap yourself in, and get ready. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. There's been a lot of reaction uh, in email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. We've had reaction on Twitter at The Roy Green Show to the story that we're going to be doing later on on the program, and that is that of the 200,000 roughly displaced Yazidi people in the world, the Middle East, uh, Canada's only taken in about 1,200. 200,000 displaced, we're taking in 1,200. And as we... uh, Heard from our Prime Minister, we hear constantly from the Prime Minister, we can do better than that. So we can do better than that. And we're going to be talking to a human rights activist from the Yazidi community in this country. She's also aligned with the international Yazidi community. And it was Canada's parliament in 2016 that unanimously declared that the Yazidis were victims of genocide at the hands of ISIS, so we can do far better. We're also going to be speaking with Hannah Bowman. Hannah Bowman is a, I think she's 48, from British Columbia, and a former model who decided that she had read enough about what was going on in the Middle East with the Kurds and ISIS, and she wanted to get involved, and so she, in 2014, 2014, made her way to... uh, Iraq, and she joined an all-female Kurdish fighting unit. She was on the front lines fighting against ISIS. And uh, they were actually on social media talking about how they wanted to capture her and what they wanted to do to her. We'll talk to Hannah Bowman later on on the program. YPG was the name of of that unit. There's a lot on the show today. We will follow up on the Continuing developments in the story of sexual harassment and sexual abuse. And the focus at the moment is on our parliaments and our legislatures, particularly the, the, our, our federal parliament is getting some, some uh, attention now with Kent Herr and then provincially in Ontario, it's still the Conservatives and and Patrick Brown. We'll go to talk to Elise Mills later from Vancouver. She's the president of Contact Communications. She was a communications advisor for political parties and party leaders on Parliament Hill in Ottawa for some 20 years, and she knows Patrick Brown. So we'll talk to uh, Elise, who's also a crisis um, management specialist, public relations specialist as well. So that's coming up, and uh, I, I want to start, though, on, on the show today with a story that, although it's not the first time I've heard it, each time you hear this, you wonder how it goes on, why it goes on, why it's allowed to go on, what is wrong. When teachers, elementary school teachers, take to wearing Kevlar vests to school and Kevlar clothing to school, 
for seven, eight, nine, and ten year olds, the whole world is spinning sideways. Little kids are so assaultive of their teachers that their teachers are wearing what frontline police officers wear, Kevlar. Teachers are being hit. Uh, I, I saw some stories where they were being s- stabbed um, or being spit on. And so now in Waterloo County in Ontario, the teachers are wearing Kevlar. That's happened in other places in Ontario and Nova Scotia as well and maybe other parts of, of this country. There's a story that I just read from the United States. A 15-year-old student brought a handgun to school in rural Kentucky, killing two of his classmates, wounding 18. That was a couple of days ago. And the story goes on to say, in another time or place, this would be major news, but in the sobering reality of America's culture of guns and violence, it's simply another passing tragedy. The shooting, which took place on the 23rd of of this month, so early in the week, was the nation's 11th in 2018. So that was the 11th school shooting in the first month of the year in the United States. Jeff Pellick joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. He's the uh, vice president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, Waterloo Region. Jeff, this is all very sobering stuff. Um, So where do we begin... uh, why are teachers wearing Kevlar? <laughs> it's, so when it comes to, to personal protective equipment, um, we see educators and paraprofessionals, so educational assistants, child youth workers, wearing it when there is a child who pre- presents an ongoing risk of injury. Um, and so in particular, we see a lot of um, things like uh, arm sleeves and shin guards um, and also uh, protective jackets to prevent themselves from getting seriously injured. But we're f- for sure most concerned about the number and the severity of the violent incidents that are occurring. So locally, uh, trustees received a report, a report where 1,300 uh, incidents of aggression occurred last year in our board, which is very concerning. And um, certainly, you know, we, we've seen this at a provincial level as well. So 70, 70% of ETFO members uh, provincially have have talked about experiencing violence personally or witnessing it personally. So that's what we're most concerned about uh, as a federation. We're talking about Kevlar. We're talking about elementary school students. We're talking about teachers protecting themselves from injury by wearing what frontline police officers and military wear in the schools. 1,300 incidents. Um... What what's what's happening in the classroom? You, you talked about a couple of of uh, you know incidents or types of incidents where people or teachers are trying to protect themselves. But are we talking seven, eight, nine, ten year olds just physically assaulting their teachers? Absolutely, and and surprisingly, the rates for kindergarten teachers and early designated educators in the kindergarten level are are the highest, both provincially and locally. Um, and many people are really surprised by that. It's our youngest students who are coming to school. Um, and because of their young age and because of the, it's their first time in a formal setting, many of them are coming unidentified. So they may have a variety of special needs. They may have fetal alcohol syndrome or what have you. And it's, it's really challenging to get the supports in place uh, at that level quickly. Um, and so we see definitely a rise in incidents in the 
earliest months of school, September and October. But when the incidents are beginning to be reported to the board, boards, unfortunately, um, the frontline supports just aren't there. The educational assistants, social workers, child youth workers, there's just not enough to provide for the needs of these children. And I can tell you our members are, are frustrated on a variety of levels. They're frustrated about seeing the violence. But first and foremost, they're concerned for their, their students, um, both the students who are witnessing the violence, but also the students who are the ones uh, doing the violence. And, you know, they, they know that when a child is acting in this way, there's something going on. There's something that needs to be addressed, a, a variety of different strategies that need to be put into place. But when we don't have access to the resources that are most important to me be able to do that, uh, nothing is going to happen and the violence is just going to escalate. Well, isn't there a discipline code? Absolutely, there's a discipline code, but uh, the way that our Safe Schools Act is written is that when there are mitigating circumstances, that goes into play. So students, we're not just uh, sending them out of the school system uh, due to their needs. We're trying to find ways to, to support them, first and foremost. Uh, but interesting, uh, interestingly enough, um, over the years, as those codes of conduct have been rewritten to include mitigating circumstances and to try to be inclusive, uh, the access to community resources, uh, both for mental health and for a variety of different needs, have just not been there to keep up uh, with the demand that um, we're seeing. So sometimes, you know, I taught in the classroom um, for some of the most severe mental health issues in our board, and we're waiting a year and a half, two years to get the appropriate support. Well, are we talking then about a majority of these incidents involving special education or special needs kids? Um, yes, there's, there's both, though. Like, I would say for sure there is definitely uh, children with mental health needs, but also children with fetal alcohol syndrome that, you know, it's, it's really complex and it's not a simple solution no matter what we do. Okay, I understand that. But what about uh, the, the numbers of students who don't have these particular um, needs and these, 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 these requirements? Is, well, what, about the, what about the general population, student population? Are they also involved in, in aggression toward teachers? Yeah, at times. We don't have that data, unfortunately. So when the board was presented with that 1,300 incidents of aggression last year, um, our school board trustees began to ask those exact questions. Um, are these uh, the same students uh, that are, you know, reoffending, for lack of a better word, or is it um, a, a larger group? And how many of these students are identified with special needs? We don't have that data yet to be able to best uh, answer that question. So what are you going to do about this? Kevlar's not the answer. No, absolutely. We, we believe it's, it's definitely a Band-Aid solution to a larger problem. Um, we see uh, the first and foremost, the government needs to take a look at uh, holding principals and school boards accountable to make sure that they're following the Health and Safety Act, to make sure that they're doing everything that's reasonable pr to protect the workers in the building. And, and locally, of those 1,300 incidents, uh, our educational assistants are the most who are receiving the most uh, attacks. And that's, that's frightening. So we want to see that. But we also, we're asking the government, demanding the government, take a look at these frontline supports. So we're asking for more educational assistance, more social workers and child youth workers. We're wanting to see that they take a look at the special education funding and the funding formula and uh, do an independent review of that so that needs are, funding is, is based on needs. All right. Well, people, some people are going to say, well, there's the union asking for money again. Interesting enough, though, we're asking for money for resources yeah. that are not, are not part of our federation. Yeah. We're asking for uh, educational assistance, and that's, that's a big part of what we're asking. And locally, at least, 
we're not uh, we don't represent those members and and our our federation and our members definitely recognize that they are the people that work one on one with the students and mm-hmm. when you have two to three educational assistants but you have nine or 10 students who require that level of support due to safety there's just not enough to go around and that's just dealing with with safety. That's not even looking at the educational okay. needs for students with learning disabilities. Jeff, I appreciate the time. i got to run, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Roy. It's a huge issue, a very important issue. Kids, little kids, little kids attacking their teachers to the point that they're wearing Kevlar. Yeah, I suspect, I suspect there are special education kids, special needs kids who are involved, no doubt. But it can't just be those. It can't just be special needs kids. And then you read some of the stories from the United States, but I've also got a a, a letter to the editor in uh, the Lambton Herald that came out of Ontario this, on this very issue from a parent. But um, I want to talk to you about this at 800-263-2428, 800-263-2428. This whole issue about kids attacking teachers isn't exclusive to one area or one school or one board. What is going on? Little kids are forcing adult teachers to wear Kevlar to the classroom. What is going on? What are their parents doing? Is it fair to suggest that probably most are two-income families of kids with no parent at, the, at home at the end of the school day? And definitely not during the school day? So they erase mayhem on their video screen games and transfer that to the classroom? That fair? Parents are too bushed to provide much parenting in the little evening time they have with their kids, and maybe the parents are being beaten up by the kids as well. I don't know. Certainly parents are intimidated by child protection agencies who arrive with the police at the mere suggestion a 10-year-old or 12-year-old might be disciplined at home. 1-800-263-2428. Anywhere in Canada, 800-263-2428. Why are teachers wearing Kevlar to school. Are you a teacher? Give us the classroom perspective. If you're a parent, what's your idea here? And how much of it might have to do with the fact that there's nobody home when the kids get home from school? 800-263-2428. Green Show, Chorus Radio Network.